we would be very naive to think that we don't need oil and gas resources. We, we do need oil and gas resources and we're going to need them for the foreseeable future and uh, we need someone to produce them. Uh, but we also need oil and gas companies and the boards to take responsibility for their carbon footprint. Financial institutions are under mounting pressure to clean up their act and refocus their business on less polluting projects and resources. So what do fossil fuel companies make of this shift? We discuss in this episode of Dished, a special series on fossil fuel divestment and green finance, brought to you by Political Climate, a podcast presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. I'm Julia Piper, your host, a contributing editor at Green Tech Media, and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Some investors, like the Rockefeller Family Fund, are pulling their money out of fossil fuel companies entirely. As we've covered in this series, divestment is starting to take off across the financial sector. But while some investors are going all in, others have more nuanced views. They aren't divesting entirely, but rather they want to see oil and gas companies avoid developing the riskiest and most polluting projects and invest more in low-carbon solutions. Now, there's a valid debate to be had about how committed individual oil companies are to combating climate change. There are real concerns about greenwashing and how fossil fuel interests are influencing the political process to protect their assets and future growth opportunities, as we discussed with Professor Leah Stokes in an earlier episode of this series. But oil and gas companies are waking up to the energy transition, and many of them are starting to change the way that they operate. BP, for instance, has set a goal to be a net-zero company by 2050. And as part of that, it has pledged to reduce its own fossil fuel output by 40% by 2030. Here's how Cindy Yielding, vice president at BP America, described this goal to me in a recent interview. One of the phrases that we hear a lot externally and certainly internally we've been using is this sort of building back better And so we want to be a part of the efforts to do that. And I think it just underpins why moving forward with an ambition of zero net carbon by 2050 or sooner is so important to, to all of us. Now, BP is just one company, and there are definitely leaders and laggards here with the European oil majors out front. U.S.-based ExxonMobil, for instance, is boosting fossil fuel production, while its competitors navigate a shift toward producing cleaner energy. It's a risky strategy. Exxon was struggling even before the coronavirus shattered global oil demand this year. And now the pandemic has left the company exposed. In March, rating agencies downgraded the company. And in August, Exxon lost its place in the Dow Jones Industrial Average to a software company. In October 2020, Nextera, the largest renewable energy company in the U.S., surpassed Exxon in market value. While Nextera's market capitalization is slightly below Exxon's again today, that shuffle highlighted the financial sector's optimism around clean energy and deep pessimism around the future of fossil fuels. And yet, Exxon's response has been to double down on oil and gas, viewing the drop in oil demand this year as an outlier, and for future oil and gas demand to rebound. This strategy could worsen Exxon's financial future, and other companies with a similar strategy could face the same fate. In this episode, I discuss the push and pull factors affecting if and how oil companies go green with Valentina Kretschmar, Vice President of Corporate Research at Wood McKenzie. For transparency, Wood McKenzie is the parent company of Green Tech Media. 
However, the news arm is independent. With that, let's dive into what divestment means from the oil and gas industry perspective. I'd love to get your thoughts on divestment and now this trend of investment in cleaner energy resources and divestment being from fossil fuels and that being coal, oil and gas. From what I've learned, this started as very much an activist movement in the divest space, universities, climate activists, but now it's very much expanded into some of the biggest financial firms in the world, reorganizing their portfolios, coming up with climate strategies, and ultimately this has to do with how they move money in and out of the fossil fuel industry and and largely out these days. There's been recent announcements of just, say, the UK's uh, one of the UK's largest pension funds deciding to divest its portfolio of fossil fuels. So from your perspective, I'm curious what you think this means for the oil companies themselves. I've got a sense of the financial community perspective and the activist community perspective, but I'm curious to know what are the oil and gas companies making of this? So how would you describe this trend if you were going to give a a brief summary? Yeah, well, uh, yes, Julia, I think you're quite right in calling it a trend. And I think it's quite it would be quite interesting to actually understand what's what what is actually driving this trend among financial uh, institutions to divest from oil and gas companies and other polluters. Um, So it's really tightening financial regulations that are putting increasing pressure on financial institutions themselves to account for climate change risks. So financial institutions are becoming extremely uh, aware of what they hold in their portfolios. And this is why they are... uh, putting pressures on oil and gas companies, not just the majors, but other oil and gas companies uh, and other polluters to improve their disclosures, but also do something about reducing uh, carbon, carbon emissions. So you just mentioned oil and gas companies doing something about carbon emissions. Uh, one of several ways that they're doing this is putting money into clean tech. So Royal Dutch Shell, for instance, is currently investing one to two billion dollars per year in clean energy solutions, including wind and solar, but also electric vehicle charging, green hydrogen and more. Shell, which is admittedly one of the more progressive companies on this front, even formed a utility in Britain that offers customers 100 percent renewable energy plans. These investments still represent a small fraction of oil companies' overall investments in fossil fuel development. But an increasing number of oil companies are investing more in this space, and their spending on clean energy has continued this year despite the COVID-19 pandemic, even as these companies reported huge drops in their profits. So do you think it's the compelling opportunities that now exist in clean energy technology that's driving oil companies to invest there? Or is it more the financial pressures we've been talking about, pressure from shareholders that's driving this shift? Yeah, I think, well, that's that's a very important question. And I think if we just dial back a few years and kind of try to understand what has really pushed the majors, which have uh, led the energy transition in the oil and gas sector, uh, what has pushed them uh, to, to do this, uh, we, we see that it was investor pressure. Primarily, it was investor pressure that has pushed the majors uh, into diversification. Uh, so it wasn't this kind of overwhelming opportunity that has opened up uh, in the in the renewable sector, and largely because the renewable sector has been delivering much lower returns compared to the oil and gas returns. So over the last few years, we have seen this trend uh, really increase. The pressures 
regulatory investor and social pressures increase on, on oil and gas companies to both commit to uh, deeper uh, uh, cuts in, in carbon emissions uh, and, and also uh, diversify into, into cleaner energies. And what about the role of policy? Does that come in the middle of all these things, the business opportunity and the financial pressure? Does policy driving this as much, you would say, or even more so? Yeah, I think policy it absolutely underpins uh, these changes. And ultimately, even, you know, the financial regulator acts you know, on behalf of governments, you know, regulates the you know, financial sector. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the governance that is one of the key elements uh, in, in pushing uh, these changes, uh, for, you know, in, in within, within, within companies at the board level. So uh, policy is, is absolutely key uh, and, and I would say underpins uh, the, these push pressures that we have seen being applied uh, on, on the oil and gas companies over the last few years. And they continue to be applied. And I think in many ways, the, the COVID crisis has, um, has accelerate, accelerated this trend. I'm curious to get a sense of where the oil and gas industry stands today. Again, there are, high, there are headlines that fly around like, you know, Exxon being delisted from the Dow Jones Industrial. And there are questions about how big oil even is today. Obviously, demand has taken a huge hit amid COVID, but it seems to be pointing to some broader trend around a weakening of, of these companies. But is that really true? Is it Are these other things that are happening, things around stock performance in the Exxon case and not so much the fundamentals of the business? Or is there something truly happening to the fundamentals of the business on the oil and gas side? The oil and gas industry is really facing a hugely challenging period um, where survival is not just about adapting to low oil prices, but also to, to um, a low carbon future. And we have already seen the European majors make fundamental changes to their business models. Uh, so yes, there is a fundamental change uh, in uh, in these companies. And will the rest follow? Well, it remains to be seen, and, and many will, especially those companies which are under huge regulatory and investor pressures, and for example, those companies in the European Union and, and the United Kingdom. Traditionally, over the last few years, we have seen uh, the U.S. majors really focused, uh, being uh, focused on their advantaged oil, uh, especially in the in the U.S. shale. And of course, the COVID crisis, the impact on global oil demand, and the, the crash in oil prices that that uh, the subsequent cr- crash in oil prices um, has had a huge impact uh, on on the oil and gas sector uh, generally, and because. Uh, the, the the collapse in oil prices. We have seen uh, the the difference uh, between uh, returns, say, from the oil and gas projects and renewable projects, really reduce uh, quite quite significantly. Because over the last few years, uh, we have seen the you know the majors, uh, whilst they were diversifying into clean energies, the amount they have invested in clean energies has been uh, very small compared to what they have invested in oil and gas projects. So the allocation of capital uh, has not been quite um, quite kind of biased towards renewables, it's been very much biased towards uh, oil and gas. But with lower oil prices and, and lower returns from oil and gas projects, uh, this difference between, uh, you know, these safe long-term uh, renewable projects 
and and quite volatile oil and gas projects uh, is has has very much re- reduced, and the argument uh, not to invest in renewables uh, has is very much diminished. I know no one has a crystal ball, but we've seen some projections come out. I think from J.P. Morgan Chase predicting that oil prices will go back up in you know the coming years. I'm curious if you're seeing that from the Woodmax side. And I guess following from that, I'm curious what this will do to the financial pressure. If there's more money to be made in oil again, do you think that could disrupt this trend of greening portfolios? Or do you think the motivations there are so separate from the economic that that will continue? Or or do you think this could be a short-lived trend? I'm curious to get your thoughts. It's predicting oil price is really, um, it, it's of, of course, uh, quite an impossible task, you know, but we do uh, uh, forecast oil price increasing, of course, as as demand for oil comes, uh, recovers following the, uh, the, the COVID, the COVID crisis. Um, However, there, there are huge uncertainties uh, around, around any, any forecast you know as you as you uh, i'm sure are, are well aware but what i what i would say in terms of the impact on the energy transition and the the greening of uh, the portfolios it's i i doubt that it's going to have a huge impact and and the reason for that is that it, it is really uh, the covid crisis has illustrated a huge importance of transitioning into cleaner energy the the governments such as the European government, as the UK government, you know, they are driving these greening drive, uh, greening uh, initiatives, and they have committed to rebuilding economies based on green principles. So we have uh, 60 plus countries around the world that have committed to net zero, to achieving net zero carbon by 2050. And, and pretty much corporates will simply have to fall in line with these government, government initiatives and government targets. And I know that it's it's a very different story in different geography, geographies around the world, uh, but the impact from even sort of these quite significant regions such as uh, European Union and and uh, and the UK even uh, the impact in terms of investment in in other parts of the world uh, is going to be uh, pretty significant, and 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 I think. Ultimately, um, you know, we are going to see this trend accelerate globally. When we talk about diversification of the portfolio, do you mean oil companies investing into clean energy projects? You know, like we've seen, I'll pull a U.S. example. Uh, Chevron um, is supposed to build 500 megawatts of renewables uh, in Texas and other places. And then to use a European example, BP uh, plans to build 50 gigawatts of renewables by 2030 and cut fossil fuel output as well. Are you talking about clean energy in that sense of renewables in large part? Or does that mean things like hydrogen, like capturing methane, carbon capture sequestration? Just what kinds of greening are we talking about that specifically the financial sector is pushing for? Yeah, well, I think it, it, it really includes all of it. Um, and as we have seen, uh, the majors that are leading the energy transition, the likes of Shell and Total, they, they are investing across the electricity value chain and across different uh, different clean technologies, which very much includes hydrogen as well as carbon capture and storage. So uh, it, it includes 
uh, every aspect of greening and uh, you know the the uh, energy energy value chain and ultimately greening the the entire economy do you think these firms can truly become energy companies i'm talking about the oil companies and oil majors specifically because there are people who doubt that you know behemoth companies like that can truly disrupt themselves and diversify in a meaningful way, not just with a little bit of a side project, but to really change the fundamentals of how they operate and how they earn money. What are your thoughts on how they go about doing that? Well, it's 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 a it's an interesting question, and all of these <laughs> all of these questions, uh, I guess, we'll we will have to wait for for answers for for some time because it you know the the new. Uh, strategies, business models are, are still still emerging, and, and I guess we have seen over the last few years that the likes of Shell and Total and, and Equinor uh, they have they have led the energy transition in a sense of uh, the the amount of investments that have they have put in in, in uh, clean technologies. We've seen, uh, for example, BP set a new industry benchmark with with as you say such uh, really aggressive targets, uh, both in terms of uh, the the gigawatts they're going to try to achieve by 2030 and the amount of investment they're going to put in. So uh, BP is embarking upon a very co- company transformation really uh, going forward, and we don't have many examples in the in, in the industry that we can look into. I think there are a couple of companies that have transitioned from being oil and gas utility into sort of uh, completely clean energy, and one of them is is Orsted. Will other companies like the majors, as you say, these huge, uh, huge integrated oil and gas companies, c- can they, will they follow the example of, of Orsted? It's difficult to say. Orsted, uh, Orsted operated under very different circumstances, uh, to, to any of these companies. Uh, but when you look at what Orsted has done, uh, Orsted's trans- transition, uh, took place over 15 years. And, and for a very long time, they, they maintained their oil and gas business uh, and, and used it as cash cow to uh, invest into into their renewables business. And in many ways, when you look at it now, it, it's not too dissimilar to what uh, BP is going to do. Of course, as I, as I said, the circumstances around or- Orsted and the, the quality of Orsted's upstream portfolio is, is extremely different uh, to what BP has. But in terms of strategic strategic direction, uh, it is not too dissimilar. What about state-owned oil companies? I feel like the Shells and BPs of the world get a lot of attention, but we forget that there's the Saudi Aramcos and other you know, national players. Are they feeling the same pressure to transition? I don't know if they would have investor pressure in the same way. So what are you seeing happen there? Yeah, well, they, they certainly don't have the same uh, government, nor investor, nor social pressures, really. Uh, but they are aware of the energy transition, and in and the likes of, for example, Saudi Aramco and Rosneft, they are the largest uh, oil producers in the world, uh, and they're the lowest cost producers in the world. Uh, so they very much uh, are focused on, on on what is really happening and what kind of threat the energy transition. Uh, it uh, presents and represents uh, for for 
for them. Whilst they're not diversifying uh, into clean technologies, uh, they are uh, really very much aware as to what's happening around them. Um, and, and potential, you know, diversification to clean energies cannot be ruled out. And I think Saudi Aramco has already talked about it. And, and Rosneft is, is also, for example, improving uh, its disclosure on, uh, on, on carbon emissions and, and doing something about sequestration of, of carbon as well. But it's, it's, it is a, it is a very different proposition for, for NOCs. It is also interesting that, uh, you know, we have already seen, uh, NOCs in Asia, uh, commit to, to some, some level of diversification. But, uh, but then again, each one of these NOCs will have very different drivers in terms of why, why, why they're doing it and why they're following uh, the majors into, 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 into transition. Just to come back to the finance piece specifically, you know, some people say things like divestment, the the news that we see of pension funds moving their money out of fossil fuels, that's great for those financial firms and speaks to the pressure that the firms themselves are under. But someone else will come in and finance and will own the oil and gas piece here. Do you think that's true, that there will always be another financier to come in and support and underwrite oil and gas development? Or is this now so widespread that that truly is being cut off and, and there's sort of a dead end there? Well, I think we can we can look at some other industries that are not, that investors have fallen out of love with, such as tobacco industry. There, there's still financiers, you know, there's still, there's still finance out there for the tobacco industry. So I'm sure that there will be finance available for, for the oil and gas industry as well. You know, private capital is is one way this can go. But I think increasingly, you know, that the pressure from the financial regulator is very much increasing on all companies to, uh, you know, improve their disclosures on, on climate risks. Uh, so the, the pressures uh, will increase. It's certain that things will get more difficult when it comes to traditional finance providers. Um, the cost of capital will for sure go up, uh, as will demands uh, for, for climate-related disclosures. So companies that do start diversification, oil companies and gas companies that, that start to reduce their carbon emissions in various ways, could that actually help them access more capital in the sense that they would then be you know, rewarded by the financial community for taking steps in a lower carbon direction and then then these companies might find themselves grouped in on environmental, social, and, and government's funds or find new capital that's looking for decarbonizing oil companies, capital that would not otherwise invest in maybe an oil major, but because they're now greening, they actually have access to more money. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think there are two things. So firstly, sort of disclosures, companies that do good sort of climate disclosure and companies that act on, on carbon carbon reduction will definitely have much better score and therefore capital allocation towards these companies uh, will be easier to, to make. They, they will benefit from that. Uh, but for companies that have bad disclosure or that they, they're not acting on, on uh, addressing carbon emissions, I think that the first step for, for any uh, investor will be to actually engage with the company. So uh, rather than divest straight away. And I think this is what financial institutions uh, have been doing and they, they will 
they continue to do uh, and it probably will increase over the coming months and years uh, this kind of engagement uh, with, with the boards uh, to try to appeal to them to improve disclosures this engagement again uh, if it doesn't result uh, with with improvements then could result with kind of divestments and and uh, lack of lack of access uh, to, to 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 funds that's interesting just I think to think of it from the activist point of view because they pushed for divestment and these companies are becoming more responsible in their as you say disclosures and some really putting more money in a meaningful way into lower carbon solutions but it's not as though money is then just fleeing altogether from the sector. In fact, some investors may have been looking for this kind of transparency and be happy to stick around once they have a little more transparency. Uh, So it's kind of interesting to think about this, because I know that some people would love to see the oil and gas operations fully shut down. And by moving money out of there, they think that could happen. But it seems as though the, the reality of it is much more complex. It, it is absolutely more complex. And, and I think we would be very naive to think that we don't need oil and gas resources. We, we do need oil and gas resources and we're going to need them for the foreseeable future. And we need someone to produce them. Uh, but we also need oil and gas companies and the boards to take responsibility for their carbon footprint. Uh, so, and this is, this is what financial institutions would like to see. They would like to see better disclosure better disclosure on climate risks, treating them in the same way as financial risks. And, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, in, in line with that, taking, taking action uh, on reduction of, of carbon emissions. It doesn't necessarily mean that oil and gas companies um, need, to, need to diversify into renewables, need to diversify into any clean energies, but it does mean that they have to find uh, ways and means of, of putting away carbon, the carbon that they produce. Right, which gets into carbon capture and storage and investments in nature-based solutions as well. So I think to summarize my takeaways here, it sounds like, you know, how oil and gas companies around the world ultimately respond to the investor pressure as well as policy pressure that you described is still to be determined. Oil and gas companies may not go away entirely, at least not in the near term, but The financial pressure they face is very real, and it's already fundamentally reshaping the way that these companies do business. Ultimately, though, how quickly and effectively these firms move to address their carbon footprint and whether or not they fully embrace the clean energy transition will likely depend on how strong the pressure is going forward. So with that, I think we'll leave it there. Valentina, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Julia. It was my pleasure. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. This is the latest episode in our Ditched mini-series on political climate. You can catch all these episodes on Mondays over the next few weeks. You can also find these shows via the independent environmental news site, Our Daily Planet. Sign up for their newsletter, check out their website. It's a great resource and another place to find these shows. Thanks again for listening. I'm Julia Piper, and until next time.